how we doing? Yeah, ready for day two? Anybody have a little uh, a little music stand I could borrow? Anybody in the crowd? Um, let me see. Somebody will come rescue me. I will start. And uh, if somebody can give me a music stand, that'd be great. So I'm hyped for day two. I'm believing big things for this morning. Uh, when I was six years old, my mom and dad divorced, and my mom moved out west. My dad raised my brother and I. For the first few years after the divorce, we lived in a little apartment, and eventually my dad kind of got things together and decided he wanted to buy a house. And thank you so much. And I'll never uh, forget what happened the day that we went to see the house that we would eventually buy for the first time. As we were walking down the driveway, the real estate agent said to my father, Mr. Bradner, I promise you, we can ask for money to replace the carpet. That intrigued us all. And so we opened the door and there, just screaming at you right when you walked in was this green carpet. And my dad stood there and, and he just looked and then he said, I kind of like it. And, and I knew exactly what he was thinking because my dad was a soccer coach and one of the messages that my dad preached over and over about sports was play relaxed, play like you're at home. And I knew when my dad saw that literally the soccer field would be like we were at home because we had this green carpet that looked like grass, he was like, yeah, baby, we're keeping this. And so we did keep the, we bought the house, we kept the green carpet. Now, unfortunately, a few years later, my house caught on fire. And when I say fire, I'm talking about ultimate destruction. Um, second floor roof burned off, second floor burned down to first floor. It was so hot in places that what used to be TVs were piles of melted plastic. And in the days following this tragedy, we would go to the house and we would just try to salvage any and everything we could. And the neighborhood all found out about the fire, obviously, it was a pretty big deal. And occasionally neighbors would walk by and ask if they could see. That was kind of interesting. Um, and one day these two little girls who walked down our driveway holding hands, they might've been six or seven years old. And they said to my dad, can we look inside? And my dad said, well, you could stand at the door and look in, but you can't go inside, it's too dangerous. And so these two little girls stood there at the threshold of our house that had been utterly destroyed in silence. I knew they had never seen anything like this before. And they stood there about a minute and then they turned around and said, thank you. And as they were walking up the driveway, one of them broke the silence and she said, I can't believe it. And the other one said, I know, they actually had green carpet. <laughs> yeah, seems cute now, but it didn't seem cute at the moment, right? In the moment, that was anything but cute because everything about that scene screamed tragedy, destruction. A family has lost everything. And all those girls saw was green carpet. Now, did we have green carpet? We did. But did it deserve first comment? And as far as I know, did it deserve the only comment? No, they missed the point. Why do I share that? Over the years, when I hear people talk about God, when I hear people talk about the Bible and Christianity, I get the same baffled feeling. Is that what you took away from that story? 
Is that what you're gathering from that passage? It's what I call green carpet talk. People talk about things about God that are there. Yeah, they're there, but they surely don't deserve first comment. And for many people, they are the only comment they have about God, which makes me say, I think you missed the point. And this morning, I'm gonna do my best to share with you what I believe is the most pervasive and the most dangerous of all green carpet talk in the Bible. Things that, yeah, they might be there, but the fact that it's all you know, I think you've missed the point. So that's where we're going this morning. Last night, I just invited you. Would, would you be willing to consider what if there's more and bring it to Jesus? And I asked you to look for two things. Remember, it gets personal. Right, you start looking over your shoulder, like what's going on here? This is a little weird. Um, it gets personal and he exceeds expectations. We bring to Jesus a desire for more and leave with more than we desired. And this morning, I want you to consider, what if we're not the only ones who want more? Here's the question to kick off this morning. What if God wants more? What if God wants more? If God does want more, I wonder what do you think he wants more of? I think the majority of people, though they might not say it this way, they think that if God wants more, it means this, God wants to take more from me. More rules, more regulations, more restrictions, more don'ts. In other words, the Christian life is this big journey of God taking one joy after another from you. But don't worry, one day you'll be in heaven where you could sing hymns forever with chubby angels, right? That's what I call the God of no. And if we're honest, the majority of non-Christians view God as a God of no. The Bible has a big book of rules what not to do. Christianity is all about do not. And, and I, this is where I'm passionate. It's not just non-Christians. The majority of those who call themselves Christians have at the foundation of their faith a so-called God who wants to take more from you, a God of no. And this book, the Bible, is a big book of rules what not to do. And I wanna try to blast it out of the water. I want to destroy it because I think it's killing people. Years ago, there was a Capital One credit card commercial, and it was poking fun at credit card companies who advertise reward points, but when you call in to use them, the answer is always no. And it was, the commercial took place in the call center and they would call in and David Spade, an old Saturday Night Live actor was there, and he had all these creative ways to say no. They said, can I use my points for a business trip? And he said, let me ask my CE, no. They said, what about Hawaii? Anoha, Mexico, no way, Jose. And then this little jingle went on, no, 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 no. And he was sitting at his desk with a book, 1,001 ways to say no. I think that's a relevant commentary on the way our culture believes about God. He's the God of no, it's always no. And I want to expose it as incorrect, this vision that the God who wants to take more from you or just say no, it's not Christian. It's not Christian. Um, you believe it, and it's green, tar green carpet talk. Why does this matter? A.W. Tozer said it best when he said, 
What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Side note, that's from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I got it at one of my first student conferences. It's a little book that I call it Christian wasabi. You know wasabi, the green stuff and sushi, a little bit goes a long way. This is a book of wasabi right here. The chapters are like one or two pages. I love A.W. Tozer. Little shout out, read Knowledge of the Holy, The Pursuit of God. But look, if the foundation of your so-called Christian life is a vision that God is, is a vision of God that's not true, you're being shaped and drawn towards a lie. And it's an ugly one at that. Like friends, I'm honestly, I'm not surprised that there are so many mean Christians, so many um, stingy Christians, because their God is a mean God and a stingy God. Non-Christians observe the life of those who have a God of no, a God who wants to take more from you, and you're drawn to it, and they look at you and they say, ah, thank you for the invite to your Christian meeting, but I'm gonna pass because I'm really having fun right now. I'm enjoying my life. Maybe when I'm older, I'll look into Christianity. That's a really polite way of saying, maybe when I'm older, I'll be ready for your boring religion of no. Not only are we being shaped by a lie, this is ultimately where I'm going uh, after I try to show you that this is an uh, incorrect view of God. I wanna suggest if you understand God to be a God who wants only to take more from you, a God of no, I'm not sure you're a Christian. And that's serious. Here's what I mean. God does want more but it's not that he can take more from you. This is the picture of God the Bible presents. God wants to give more to you. The vision of God in the Bible is a God of yes. Now I'm just gonna pause and let the tension build because some of you hear that and you think that I'm suggesting that God's some Santa Claus God or that I'm preaching some prosperity message that God will give you everything you want. That's not what I'm saying, but here is what I'm saying. Yes, there are no's. Yes, there are don'ts. Yes, there are restrictions, boundaries, limitations of the Bible. But if that's all you see, if that's all you know, if that's the first comment you have, the only comment, it's green carpet talk and you've missed the point. That's what I'm saying, you missed the point. This morning, we're gonna to go to the first pages of the Bible and I'm gonna show you that the moment that the curtain of history opens up, standing center stage is a God who wants to give more to you, a God of yes. But before we get there, I wanna warm us up a little bit. I wanna hand out a few pink spoons. Y'all know the pink spoon, right? The pink spoon is the little spoon at Baskin Robbins that they give you when you want a little taste of this. Or if you're my kids, you want a taste of this and this and this. They, they don't understand the whole pink spoon thing. They got a whole bucket of them back there, you know? They're not all for you. I'm gonna hand out a couple pink spoons just to give you a taste of the God who wants to give more to you, the God of yes in the Bible. And, and I, the Bible's full of them. We, literally, I just said, let me pick a couple. So here we go, pink spoon number one. And we're warming up. I'm trying to say, if you believe that God wants to take more from you, he's a God of no, then you are being shaped and drawn to a lie. And not only that, you might not be a Christian. The Bible reveals a God who wants to give more to you, a God of yes. Are there no's? Sure there are. But if that's your only comment, you missed the point. 
First spoon, there was a man by the name of David. Even if you don't know the Bible, you probably heard David and Goliath. Young, as a young boy, he defeated Goliath. He becomes king. Well, when he becomes king, at a time when he should be off at war, King David stays back. And during that time where he stayed back, he had an affair with a married woman named Bathsheba. And he got her pregnant. He realized there is a big problem because her husband, Uriah, is actually at war fighting for King David. And so he comes up with this plan. Let me bring back Uriah and Uriah will sleep with Bathsheba, his wife. And then when she gets pregnant, problem solved. Uriah is a man of integrity. And so Uriah sleeps on the front doorstep of their home. He says, far be it that my men are still in battle and I would have this pleasure. Problems not solved. So David says, put Uriah to the front line of battle where he will get killed. He did problem solved, right? Well, no, because God was displeased with David. You could imagine so. He was the king of Israel, the representative. And so God sends Nathan the prophet to rebuke David for what he did. And I think you might find it interesting how God rebukes David through Nathan. Listen to what he says. And this is in your Bible. It's not like, wow, the Maddie-inspired version, the MIV. Uh, This is in your Bible. Nathan said to David, you are the man. That's not like a you the man. That's like a bad. No, you're the man. You did this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have given you more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Does that sound like the God of no? the God who wants to take more from you? God's saying, David, in me, you have everything you need for life and abundance as you live in submission and dependence on me. Why did you turn from me? Why did you turn from me? That's the first spoon. Let's grab another one. On a really hot day, Jesus sat down at a well and there was a woman there. And and first of all, in Jesus' day, uh, men and women didn't socially interact with one another. Second of all, she was a Samaritan woman which they were at odds with the Jewish people. And so it was double surprising. Jesus sits down at a well, woman comes to draw water and he says, would you get me a drink? The woman says, I'm surprised that you are asking me, a Samaritan woman, to get you a drink. Now, if most of us have a vision of God, the God who wants to take more from you, the God of no, that we would be fine to, for Jesus to say, Jesus says, give me a drink. She says, I'm surprised you would ask me. And Jesus says, look, I ask you to get me a drink. I'm God. Do what I say. Right? We'd be like, yeah, sounds like the God I know. That's not what he says. It's not the God of no, it's the God of yes. He wants to give more to you. Look at what Jesus says. If you knew the generosity of God and who it was who sits right here, who I am, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. You see that? Give me a drink. I'm surprised you're asking me for a drink. Oh, if you knew how I was, you would be asking me for a drink. And guess what? I wouldn't say, no, sorry. I would say, yes, here you go. Is that the God of no? And by, by the way, this is a little side note. This is an example of something 
you see throughout the entire New Testament, you have to get it if you're a Christian. What God demands from you, God desires to give for you if you would believe and receive from him. Let me say that again. What God demands from you, give me a drink. He desires to give for you if you would ask him. He baited her, and this is all throughout the New Testament. Feed them, feed the thousands. We don't, we can't feed them. Will you feed them? I would be glad to. Get me a drink. He wants her to say, well, I can't. Will you get me a drink? And guess what he does? He exceeds expectations. Hope you're getting a taste. Uh, one more spoon for now. So I'll be the first to admit that Christians believe some crazy stuff, right? I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, the world was created by God with a word. And the God who is ultimate and powerful over you also offers to be intimate and personal with you. That's some crazy stuff, right? I'll be the first to admit. But I also think that those who don't believe in God believe some crazy stuff too, right? Everybody believes crazy. It's just a matter of which crazy you choose to believe. So let me go on a quick tangent here. Let me go on a quick tangent here. Um, if anybody, it's foolish if anybody ever suggests that because you believe in God, you believe something crazy, and those who don't believe in God don't believe in anything crazy. That's foolish. I'll give you an example. Suppose you say, Maddie, um, I don't believe in God because that's just too crazy. I'll say, okay, um, uh, well, let's just take planet Earth. Um, uh, talk to me, what do you believe about planet Earth? You say, well, I believe that the Earth is currently traveling through space at an unimaginable speed of 66,000 miles per hour and everything's just going by chance, fine. And then you say, and actually I, I believe that our speed, because of our side, our speed is so perfect that if we were to slow down any, then we would be sucked to the sun, the sun and we would get scorched and all be killed, but by chance, I just really feel confident that we'll keep our speed. But don't get too excited because if for some reason we speed up, then we will go away from the sun and we will all freeze to death. But my fingers are crossed here. I'm feeling really good about planet Earth chances. And then you say, and you know what? I've been worried about the radiation from the sun. And then I just discovered that by chance, the Earth's atmosphere and ozone protects us from the sun's radiation. And not only that, it protects us from meteors that would hit us and instantly kill us all. Do you know, we're really, 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 really tiny in the universe, but what we lack in size, we sure make up for in luck, right? I'm like, you're crazy. You're crazy. We all believe in crazy, even Richard Dawkins. The recently deceased, I told you it was a little tangent, stick with me. The recently deceased atheistic evolutionist admitted in the blind watchmaker, the essence of life is statistical improbability on a colossal scale. Whatever is the explanation for life, it cannot be by chance. The true explanation for the existence of life must embody the very antithesis of chance. A lot of people right now are talking about is there another planet with one, two, three characteristics for life, right? Elon Musk has already now labeled cryptocurrency as the currency of Mars when they get there. Does anybody find it odd that we're searching for planets with one, two, three characteristics that could sustain life and we have them all? <laughs> we have them all. We're just trying to find somebody else who has one and we just happen to have them all. And you say that that's by chance, no adult supervision. That's crazy. Okay, tangent over. We all believe in crazy, right? 
That's why I'm the first to admit it. I believe in some crazy stuff. People talk to me, I say, I'll tell you, I, I believe actually God talks to me through his word. That's some crazy stuff, isn't it? But you got crazy too. Okay, why did I share that third spoon? One of the crazies that we believe, if you're a Christian, is that when you trust in God, when you become a Christian, God actually puts himself, his spirit in you to live in you, the Holy Spirit. And here's my question. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life? Well, there's a number of answers to that, but here's one of them. I want you to look at this. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given by God. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. And that's one reason why I say, if your view of God is a God of no, a God who wants to take more from you, I'm not sure you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit isn't a voice that reminds all that God has taken from you or all that God will give you if you pay the price. It's all that God has freely given us. Have any of you ever had a roommate that was like obnoxious about a player like LeBron or a restaurant like Chick-fil-A or something? And when you no longer live with them after a year or two, you realize every single day I heard about LeBron as the greatest or Chick-fil-A as the greatest. Well, you know what the Bible says? If you're a Christian, you have somebody who lives with you that constantly whispers in your ear how good and generous God is to you. That's not a God of no. Look, I could go on and on and on handing out pink spoons. The more you see, and, and when your eyes start to open to the God who wants to give more, the God of yes, you will begin to think, why have I not seen this? Why have I believed that God is all about no? And you might start asking the question, is there like some sort of conspiracy here? Is someone seeking to keep me from seeing good news? This is what'll happen. You'll begin to think when you see this, is someone seeking to keep me from seeing good news? And this may sound odd at first, but the more I hear people talk about God in a way that is the God of no, the God who wants to take more from you, it actually strengthens my faith. It strengthens my belief in the veracity or truthfulness of the Bible. You know why? See if we have that uh, next slide. That's the statement. Someone is seeking to keep you from seeing good news. Yeah, there we go. It's almost, this is what, is you feel this, you start feeling, wait, I've believed a lie. Is someone seeking to keep me from seeing good news? And I'll tell you, as I hear people talk about God, like, like somebody shares their testimony. Here's a testimony for you. I did these things. I became a Christian and I no longer do them. Woo! That's the God of know it work right there, you know, plucking them away. Is that it? That's, that's, that's your testimony. And then you realize, wait, that's not the Christian life. Is someone seeking to keep you from seeing good news? And I say, yeah, actually this strengthens my faith because guess what? This right here, this right here, I see right here. You, this is my paraphrase of 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing good news. God already told us. Someone's seeking to keep you from seeing good news. And when I witness it and hear it happening everywhere, it strengthens my confidence in this book, the Bible. 
So here's what I want to do the rest of our time. Uh, do you feel in my passion? You, hear, you feel this? This is what I want to do. We're going to go to Genesis, and I'm going to show you that, that when you open the curtains of history, it's the God who wants to give for you everything you need for life in abundance. It's the God of yes. And then I'm going to conclude by connecting the dots with why I say if you just have a God to know, you might not be a Christian. So let's ease into Genesis with a question. It's a simple one. Those who don't even know the Bible, you can answer this one. What did Adam, what did God tell Adam in the garden? What did God tell Adam in the garden? We, we know this, this is easy. God told him not to eat from the tree, right? Of course, because God's the God of no, the Bible's about what not to do wrong if you know your bible and you hear that answer you should scream that's green carpet talk now if you ever actually do that i will text me text me maddie v i use green carpet talk i will be so happy you would say no that's green carpet talk is that what you're taking away from this like literally i imagine 90 something percent of you said well god told him not to eat are you kidding me there is a stinking conspiracy going on. Someone is seeking to keep you from seeing good news. You can't actually read the passage and come to that conclusion. Did God tell him no? Yes, he did. But in light of the big picture, does that deserve first comment? And, and does that deserve only comment? That's the only thing most of you know. It doesn't because that's not how it went down. And your view of God Hopefully, it's about to just be changed before God gave the no. He first gave a big yes. What did God actually tell Adam? God said, you are free to eat from every tree. Yes, 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 yes. Just don't eat from this one. And I think we get that wrong. We picture like God made all these like wilted trees and this one, hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? Like you can have all those you want, but don't touch that one. What kind of trees did God make? The Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. When my kids were younger, we would go outside and we would act this out and they would say, Daddy, what about that one? I would say, oh yeah, wait, that one, that one, that one, that one, yes, yes, yes. Because I want them to know that the God of the Bible and their daddy's God is not a God who steps on the scene wanting to take more from you. Not a God to know, but a God who desires to give for you all you need for life and abundance as you trust him. And there are massive implications to this. But before we even get there, before we get there, I just want you to know this is not like this random glimpse. We already gave out pink spoons, but it's not a random glimpse of the generosity of God like your, your mean and angry uncle who's happy one time a year after he drinks a little too much wine. You know, that's not what we have here. The whole Bible's full of this God, the whole creation account. Just let me read to you. Genesis 2, 6, God gives water. 2, 7, he gives breath and life. 2, 8, he gives a garden. 2, 9, he gives trees. 2, 15, he gives work. 2, 16, he gives man opportunity for obedience. 2, 18, God saw that it was not good that man would be alone. He saw it was not good that man would be alone. And what did he do? He said, welcome to planet Earth, sucker. 
No, that's, that's what the God of no does. The God of yes gives for him someone. And guess what? Not just someone or something. God says, Adam, come here. I want you to name all of the animals. And this, the scene here is that Adam is looking for a companion. It's kind of a funny scene. And, and you imagine it literally like, we're going to go with giraffe and no way, God. You know what I'm saying? Like he's looking for a companion and finally God brings to him woman. And this is what Adam says. This one at last. This one, is that the God of no? He's the God of yes. And so here's the massive implication. Seeing that God first gave a big yes shows us that God's no, which he does give, is not to prevent you from life. It's to protect you for it. Just want you to sit on that. When you see that God starts with yes to you, when he does say no to you, friends, it's not to prevent you from life. Most of us think that following God means that he's going to keep us from something we want. If he does, it's because he's for you. When you begin to see the heart of God, you realize that every single word in the Bible is meant to protect you for or provide you with life. What do you think about that? That's, that's the Christian God I know. Every single word of the Bible is either meant to provide me with life or protect me for it. I wonder, how has the God of no influenced the way you relate to him? How would your life change if you believed every word of God was meant to protect you for or provide you with life? What area of your life are you keeping hold of because you're okay with the Christian thing as long as you don't lose this joy? Enjoy your God of no, your God who wants to take from you. Okay, this is the point where I wanna try to show how this vision of God, the God who wants to take more from me, the God of no, uh, might mean you're not a Christian. So stick with me. We're, 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 we're descending the plane. We think that he's the God of no, which means that we think our problem, the Bible calls sin, is that we say yes to bad things. For example, if I were to say, close your eyes and think of the last time you sinned, I guarantee you, all of you would think of a time you did something bad because you think that sin is doing bad things. He's the God of no, we're the people of yes, and our problem is that we do bad stuff, which means the solution is to ask God because of Jesus to forgive us of the bad things we've done. That's what most people think. And, and, and most in this room, you're like, yeah, sounds right to me. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to get rid of the badge you have, right? It's like if you're, 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 you're about to, it's the week before your high school prom, you don't have a date and you feel embarrassed that you don't have a date and then the, the embarrassment gets too much, you can't take it, that you just ask anybody in order to get rid of the embarrassment. Date means nothing to you. You asked whoever it was to get rid of something you had. That's, a, that's the way most people think about Christianity. I've done bad and I need to ask Jesus to forgive me of this bad I have. But when you realize that God is the God of yes, this changes how we understand our sin problem and God's solution through Jesus with the God of yes who desires to give for you everything you need. 
and life and abundance as you submit to him and depend on him, then your problem is not that you say yes to bad things. It's that you said no to the best thing, the good thing in life. See if some of you smell what I'm cooking. See, when we think of sin, we start with the presence of bad in our life. But that's the second sin in the Bible. When God thinks of our sin, he starts with the absence of good in your life. Namely, that which is 100% perfectly good. Because he's not the God of no. He's the God of yes that desires to give for you everything. And you said no to that. This is why God says things like this all over the Bible. My people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. The first sin is turning from the God of yes. The second sin is turning, dug for themselves wells. Whatever you turn to, the God of yes. See, when people hear, may it be the God of yes, they, they, they get this, oh, he must be talking that God's always pleasant, God's always... When you understand the God of yes, your problem doesn't get smaller. It gets much, much bigger. Sin is not only the presence of bad in your life, but also, more importantly, the absence of good, that which is 100% perfectly good, which God offered to give to you, and you said no. That's your problem. So let me see if you're getting it. Here we go. Here's a question. Think about this. What was the first sin in the Bible? Now just say what comes to everybody's mind. What was the first sin in the Bible? They ate the apple. Of course that was the first sin, if you have a God of no. But that's unfortunately the second sin. The first sin is not what you turn to, the first sin is that they turned from God, who desired and was demonstrated, the God of yes, the God who gives for you. And they said, no thank you, and then they ate an apple. Some of you, and we're gonna to get to this tonight, you're so focused on eliminating the apples in your life. And you got a powerless Christian life because you don't understand that's not your problem. Okay, that sounds good. The first sin was not the apple, it was God. Well, does, where, does the Bible say this? Well, yeah, that's where I got it. Look at Genesis 3:17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and then eaten of the tree. So look at this. You got to be careful. First sin is listening to your wife. That's not what God's saying. The first sin is that you turned from me. I'm the God who desires to give you everything you need. This is literally the same thing that he said to David. If, I, if it was too little, would I not have given you more? You turn from me and you turn to the apple. And so here's our problem summarized. If you want to be right with God, you not only need God to forgive you of the bad you have, you need him to give for you the good, the 100% perfect good you don't. Because sin is not just doing bad, it's the absence of good, which God offered you in himself, and we said no. And this is why Jesus' death on the cross is so significant if you believe and receive him. He didn't just die so that God would forgive your bad. Jesus lived a perfect life without sin, never turning from full trust in the God who always wanted to give more to him, who always was for him. And through faith in Jesus, God will forgive your bad and give for you the 100% perfectly good you don't have. His righteousness, his resume, his record. This is what it means to be a Christian. 
2 Corinthians 5, amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it so well. Listen to this. Some of you, if you hear this, you're going to become a Christian today. Some of you have just, you've looked for him to take away your bad. And he says, you still got half a problem. You don't have that which is 100% perfectly good. He, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. He put him on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus took our sin on himself. But that's not all he did. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Look, look, look. I know you don't want to carry around the guilt and burden of your bad. Nobody does. But that doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you hear the vision of the God who wants to give more to you, the God of yes, who says, live in submission to me, live in dependence on me, and I give you everything for life and abundance. When you hear the vision of that God, then you say, I want to live with you forever. How can that be? And he says, look at Jesus on the cross. And then you say, by faith in Jesus, life, death, and resurrection that showed that God approved his sacrifice, would you forgive my bad? And would you give for me the good so I can be with you, God? You see the difference? I want a date to the prom to get rid of my embarrassment. I don't care who you are. What about this? I want a date to the prom because I want to be in love. That's what Christianity is. It's some of you. You've never wanted to be with God. And I hope as you've seen him this morning, you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I pray you would just, the scales would drop. Pray that eyes would open hearts. I pray against the the, uh, enemy who is seeking to keep us from seeing the good news of the gospel that's all over the Bible. Lord, I, I pray you would free people from this vision of you that you're just out to take more. You're out to say no, no, no. And that we would begin a new journey, a new life with the God who loves us, with the God who gives for us, the one who says, he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how would he not along with him give us all things? How do we read this, Lord, and see you as the God of no? You said, I start with the best. I give you Jesus. You could always and forever trust me with the rest. I pray that that would happen in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.